You know, sometimes those testings come so strongly that we feel cornered. Anyone feel cornered here this morning? Sometimes those circumstances come and they ambush us. And so it seems like they just drop out of the sky into our lives out of nowhere. Do you feel ambushed this morning by what you're going through? Sometimes our difficult circumstances, they overwhelm us, they defeat us, they paralyze us when we are in the midst of them. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God and with God, the seemingly impossible situation that you're in right now, God will help you. God will rescue you. God will deliver you. Now, that's not a phrase that I coined myself. That phrase is found in countless sermons, countless songs, countless hymns throughout the centuries that God can be trusted when you're in the midst of insurmountable odds. In your bulletin, you should have gotten a little outline of today's message if you want to interact with uh, the slides that I created for you. So today and next week, I want to share with you the game plan for tough times. I'll be using a very famous and powerful Israelite story found in the Old Testament that we're all familiar with. As a matter of fact, uh, a theologian has written that the story is one of the best known stories in the entire Bible. And it might even be, in fact, one of the best known events in all the world, particularly in the modern developed world, close quote. Now, I think I know why he said that, because with the advent of technology, <laughs> all you got to do is Google it, and you'll find out what it's all about. Countless movies were also created and produced based on that Israelite story. And so what I want to do is go through this story, and I'd like to extract eight principles from this story that will help us move from being paralyzed in the tough time that just landed on our lap and move us to being empowered, to move us from emotional instability to emotional stability, from fear to faith. Now, of course, the Old Testament story that I'm alluding to and that was mentioned this morning is Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. In our time together, we're going to see how God allowed the Israelites to become trapped. And we'll see in our story that God allowed them to not only be trapped, but that he will rescue them and show this very young and new nation with the excitement that they already had, how this new nation can trust God who is in control of all things and that he can be trusted. So with that, let's take a look at the game plan for tough times. Principle number one. Principle number one. God designed your present circumstances and you are exactly where you're supposed to be. I want to say that again. God, not mom, not dad, not your boss at work. God designed 
your present circumstances. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Let that sink in for a minute. Because unless you grasp that first, the other principles won't work. So please turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, I will also have it up there for you. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, notice that the Lord has given these instructions to Moses. Therefore, it is God's will for the children of Israel to hear this word. Verse 2. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharoth between Magdal and the sea. They are to encamp there by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Saphon. Now, these two verses tell us that the children of Israel were truly caught between a rock and a hard place. Their backs to the sea, in between forsaken hills, as they say, exposed to the enemy as sitting ducks. They were completely exposed to the enemy. Let's go sidetrack for a moment. In the latter half of 2007, I would lay up at night, couldn't sleep, insomnia, which is horrible. I don't know if you guys have it or have had it. Why couldn't I sleep? Well, Lydia and I, my wife, we had started a small business and it started to falter. It was directly tied to the real estate market. Now, the real estate market is directly tied to the hurricane season because the two go hand in hand. And our business started to falter because a stream of hurricanes ran through the area. And so the real estate market began to slow down. The mortgage industry, which is the particular market that we were in, was hit very hard. And my phone literally stopped ringing for work, my lifeline. Now, we were just two short years into our marriage. So Lydia's expectation of a happy marriage went from here to here. Marcos was just born, our son. He's 16 now. And we had to make a mortgage payment. And it was very hard, which stretched to several months. And for those of you that know, uh, that are homeowners, that only takes one or two missed payments for the bank to start sending you threatening letters to kick you out in the street. So there we were trapped, so to speak, cornered. We couldn't go this way or that way. All our resources had dried up. And as a family, we were afraid. And so facing impossible odds, because we were dependent 100% on the real estate market, which had dried up, so we thought. Those days, looking back at it now, seem pretty dark. Now, using the word dark and sunny South Florida kind of don't mesh together. But even in a sunny day, you can feel lost. And we were lost, so to speak. And that darkness was so thick that we simply had no control over anything. A little more on that later on. We can get, way, get that way too, right, brothers and sisters? 
something as simple as a phone call we get early in the morning or late at night, or a doctor that tells you you have to come in to review your test results instead of telling you over the phone, or a letter that comes in the mail sending your emotions flying off the handle. And so you enter a world of worry. For some of us, worry is our first name. How you doing, worry? Now, what's interesting in our story in Exodus chapter 14 is that we're looking at a people who were newly saved. So think about that. They're fresh out of Egypt. They're following on a daily basis. They're looking at a miracle, a pillar of cloud by day, go this way, go that way, a pillar of fire to follow. God's leading them in their lives. We have a prophet that has a direct link to God. But you see, there's something that's happening underneath that they're not aware of. There's some information that they are not privy to. And to find that out, you got to go back one chapter. So we're going to look at chapter 13 for a couple of verses. So in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, even though that was what? Ain't no shortcut, brothers and sisters, in the Christian life. Ain't no shortcuts. Let's take a look at this verse on this map. So the children of Israel left Egypt, remember they lived in Goshen, as our brother was sharing with me, under the protection of God while plagues are falling in Egypt. Keep that in mind. They have to go through Ramses. And as they go through Ramses, to the right, no more than three to five days, they can make it into Canaan, but that's not what God wanted. God says, I need you to go southward. I need you to go south. Why? Why? When your kids were young and you're out walking in the street and you come across an intersection where you have to cross the street, the first thing you do, instinct, you grab your kid's hand. You have no idea what could happen as you cross that street. That's mom's protection. That's dad's protection. Here we have the children of Israel being led southward. Why? Even though it's shorter to go this way, through the Philistine country, why? He's got to hold his hand. He's got to hold their hand. Look what the rest of the verse says. For, which means because... God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the wilderness desert road towards the Red Sea. Brothers and sisters, what we have here, it's God's protective hand over Israel while they're going through this situation. So God moves through his providence to protect them. Why? They're young. They're brand new. They're a brand new nation. 
They've been institutionalized for some 400 years. They're simple people, unfit, unsophisticated, untrained in warfare. They need protection. And so God says to them, I don't want you to go this way. You need to go south. So God steered them away from that potential disaster. Why? Because he loves them. Brothers and sisters, there's something that we must understand, and to a large degree, you guys already know this. But by way of reminder, the Lord does come from time to time to effect our dependence upon him. He comes to his children to test them. And he brings you and leads you into peril. He leads you into pain. He leads you into suffering. So that he can teach us wisdom, build our character, and simultaneously, unbeknownst to you, he's protecting you, and that's the goodness of God. Now, I get it. The first reaction to tough times coming our way is a cascade of emotions. I get that. But think about it for a moment. Isn't it when it's in those times that we drop to our knees? Isn't it in those times, those tough circumstances, where we start not only praying, but we get into the word of God, don't we? F.B. Meyer, contemporary D.L. Moody, founder of Moody Bible Institute, puts it this way. Often God seems to place his children in positions of profound difficulty, leading them into a wedge from which there is no escape contriving a situation which no human judgment would have permitted had it been previously consulted. The very cloud conducts them, go here, go there. You may be thus involved at this very hour in a difficult spot. It does seem perplexing and very serious to the last degree, but it's perfectly right. The issue will more than justify him who has brought you here. It is a platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. Wow. The first step, and I'm belaboring this point because it's so important, is that we need to remind ourselves that the Lord has either put us in the difficult place that we're in right now, or has allowed it to happen for reasons only known to him so that we can trust him, come to know him, come to love him. Principle number two. Principle number two. Maximize God's glory in your present circumstances rather than your exit out of them. Maximize God's glory in your present circumstances rather than exit out of them. Exodus 14, 3 to 4. Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused, so they're encamped by the Red Sea. The Israelites are confused in that they are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and the whole army. 
After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So Arnie, who is the fish? He's actually not here. He went out to teach. <laughs> but you fishermen out there, who is the fish and what is the bait? You can see it, can you? You can see it. The children of Israel are exactly where God wants them. And they are the fishing bobble. You can see that in verse 4. God planned it that way in order that through them and the potential rescue of the children of Israel and the defeat of Pharaoh, God will perform one of the most spectacular Old Testament miracles where he will get the maximum glory to himself and the rescue of the children of Israel. Wow. So the bottom line is this. They had to be in this spot so that God would be defeated. That is, Pharaoh would be defeated and God's glory would be maximized. Look at this quote from a theologian at the turn of the century. It is when the people of God are brought into the greatest straits and difficulties that they are favored with the finest displays of God's character and actions. And for this reason, he oftentimes leads them into a trying position in order that he may more markedly show himself. We don't want to have a relationship with God that's static. You hear countless people say who have been around religious circles, religious people, eh, I tried that. God's not real. Doesn't do it for me. Wait till you get into a tough situation. That's where he makes himself real to you in your trying situation. But what we need to do is we need to avoid this self-talk that we have, this rationalization that we have in our minds. How did I get into this mess? Sound familiar? Why in the world did this happen to me? Why now, after I spent all my money on my vacation, my car just blew out? My washing machine just blew out. My boiler. Well, these questions are natural. They come naturally. You know, we're people. We're humans. But there's a better strategy when we're in our tough time, our difficult situation. The next time you and I are smacked in the face with a tough situation... We should say this, how can God be glorified in this situation that I'm going through maximally? How can God be glorified through my situation right now with what I'm going through? Asking a question like that is going to flip the circumstances upside down, allowing you to view it from his perspective, not yours, but his perspective and you'll see that God's going to work his way through that situation with you. Instead of you viewing it as a devastating situation in your life, and you begin to blame God for it, and you become bitter. Verse 4 says, I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I 
am the Lord. Brothers and sisters, he's orchestrating all this. Theologians said, we are witnessing a great maestro conducting a grand symphony, and that's what he's doing with you, and that's what he's doing with me. Principle number four, sorry, principle number three. Principle number three, be aware of your enemy. Be aware of your enemy and stay focused on Christ. Exodus 14, 5 through 9. When word reached that the king of Egypt, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds against him. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord then hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army. They took the bait. (laughs) And all his horses and chariots and his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped by the shore or the Red Sea. I love the desperation of Pharaoh here. What did we do? We let go of over a million employees whose only earnings is that I'll let them live for free labor. Why the detail? He could have just said Pharaoh and his armies, but we have words here with troops and chariots and 600 of the best choice charioteers. And Well, the reason for such detail is that God wants you and me to know how hopeless the case for the children of Israel were against this mighty army. Look at your situation. Gauge it. Look how hopeless perhaps it might be in context as we see here. Operation Slaughter Israel by the Red Sea is on. CNN is there at 6 o'clock taping everything. Verse 9 says that Pharaoh caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped by the sea. So they heard them. Then they saw them. Fear entered their hearts. Brothers and sisters, that is an outline how your circumstances develop. You hear it, then you visually see that it's happening unto you, and then the fear starts to get gripped into your mind and your heart. Any of you ever ever felt pursued by the enemy? Have you ever sensed your enemy lurking watching your every move, ready to pounce like a lion. Pharaoh and Satan are so close. Both are relentless to come after you. Both want to display attributes that God is a powerful God. They want that attribute. Both have armies bent on your destruction and annihilation. 
but both also don't realize how defeated they are, right? So here's the principle. Here's the strategy. Appreciate your enemy while you're in the midst of your tough time, but keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. We've been called to resist the devil, right? James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, to God and he will draw near to you. And that's where he wants us. Keeping an eye on the enemy, but drawing near to God so that we can sense his leading, sense his love, sense his direction. Principle number four. Appreciate that prayer is crucial in your situation. Now, did the children of Israel pray? Absolutely. But they were double-minded in their prayer. We're going to look at that. Exodus chapter 14, verse 9 through 10. Listen closely. The Egyptians, all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them. Literally, they caught up to them. As they camped by the sea near Pi-Haharoth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And then they were terrified, and then they cried out to the Lord. You know, there's a saying, you're either going to call on God when you're inspired or desperate either by inspiration or desperation. Look at our own lives. How are we going to respond to a tough situation in our lives? Are we going to panic or are we going to pray? If you were to talk to my wife, she'll quickly tell you that she's the stronger one in this area. My tendency is to panic initially just like the children of Israel. But why panic? Why did they panic? Well, you know, pharaohs back then were the central figures of divine, of divine rule. They were like an earthly god back then. And so his rage went after the children of Israel. And even though they're one million in a number, they're unruly, they're insubordinate, they're untrained, as I said before, they have no skills. Now, they were free physically from Egypt, but psychologically they were still enslaved. And so their ex-captors are now with their back, well, they're from the back to, their backs are to the sea, and their captors are now in front of them, and now they're terrified. So you can see that no human power can save them. They need a lifeline. And so they begin to pray. And that's what they did in their crisis. They prayed, but they prayed with a double mind. Although they directed their prayer to God, they started to complain to Moses. And so we see here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, and they said this. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Watch this. Why have you done this to us? 
Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now notice that the children of Israel are already thinking the worst possible situation and outcome. They have themselves six feet under. Brothers and sisters, in your tough times, do you get that way? You're already explaining away what God could possibly or potentially do through your situation, and you're already defeating yourself. And so your mind starts to jump to conclusions on your own situations, running scenarios in your mind how you take the reins of your own tough time instead of God helping you through it. You take the reins and say, I can solve this myself. We do that. Their cure for fear was to keep their eyes focused on God without complaint. Now, a part of that fear is that the children of Israel never saw God defeat an army. They've never seen that before. They've never heard of a God in the heavens coming on behalf of the people to defeat them. Brothers and sisters, when you, I, you and I are gripped by fear, we have the same feelings. God, how are you going to deliver me from this situation? I've seen you deliver so-and-so, but that's not happening to me right now. You delivered so-and-so from that situation. Mine kind of mirrors that, but nothing's happening over here yet, Lord. Hello? We've read books. We've seen how God has given similar victories to countless others that we've heard or read about. But it's not happening yet to me. What's interesting here is that despite... Despite the cries of the children of Israel, negative calling upon God and complaining, God still delivers them. We'll see that next week. But God still delivers them. Look at this verse that I found in Psalms 106. Psalms 106. Verse 7 and 8. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miracles, uh, I'm sorry, miraculous deeds. Wow. Ten times they saw the power of God. Ten times. Yet protected in Goshen. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him where? Oh, it's talking about the story we're looking at this morning. But they rebelled against him at the sea. Why have you done this to us? Moses, how can you put us in this terrible situation? We told you to leave us alone. We were doing fine. Fine. 
they would never know who the God of Israel is if it's not for that tough time trapped with their backs to the sea with the enemy approaching, ready to receive deliverance. The verse continues, even so, in other words, in spite of them and their attitude towards me, he saved them to defend his honor and the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. Wow. Wow. He wants to do that for you and he wants to do that for me. Principle number five. <laughs> principle number five is important. Because principle five actually is the, one of the most important ones, all right? Principle five is going to cater to principle four and all the subsequent ones. Because principle five is the true game changer. It is the supreme principle, in my opinion, where the other principles are built on. It's going to allow you to see your tough time and your circumstances in such a perspective that you will have your rescue completely assured. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that we can just run through quickly your word on a story that has so much substance and so much reality in it that as we transcribe it into real life, real shoe leather in our own lives, it has so many applications and bearings for us. Lord, teach us what these principles mean as we are tested from time to time that depend on you, that you're there in the midst of our situations, our difficulties, our trials, to strengthen us, to know and build character in us, but that there's a game plan that when we're thrust into, the, into these situations, we're just not left out in the cold, but that there is a process that there are principles and steps on how to respond to these trials and tough times in our lives. Build them into our character as we study them. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand to your